What's going on, y'all? It's your boy, Bless. This is the MOT Podcast. To the left of me, I got my co-host, okay. Let Me Know. And today, I have a very special guest coming all the way, just flew in from Europe, Mr. Vico Furman in the building. Thank you very much for being here, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Right? You're missing I, the applause button, man. I, I yeah, we're gonna get your an, problem, right? Get, yeah, yep. tell me, tell me. Next, next episode. Make next, a note next of one. that. We need an applause button. So it's been a couple months since I've seen you, my brother. How has everything been? You've been on a whirlwind. Tell well, us about I, it. I try not to be here in the winter, so that's why you haven't seen me in a while. That's right. Uh, from our last conversation, you were on tour in Europe. Um, yeah, I just came back from four weeks with uh, Daddy Yankee in Europe. Amazing. Um, little whirlwind tour, sixteen shows. I think 22 days, 23 days okay. from, uh, you know, Poland to Germany to uh, Spain, Ibiza, Italy, Tel Aviv, you know, uh, 12,000 crazy people in Tel Aviv dancing reggaeton. They love reggae um, and they love reggaeton. Yep. They love that. That's they, always been They had an amazing time. And uh, um, yeah, now I'm here for a quick show with the, uh, the Beach Club in Montreal tomorrow. And thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for coming. Um, Long overdue. When we started the podcast, you were one of the first people I had in mind who I wanted to you know, pick their brain and get them on here. Um, I think you have a very unique story of how you kind of got into this whole insane business and <laughs> came to be the empresario that you are. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know, how you got started in the game. And um, I know it involves uh, Ricky Martin. Well, it was kind of... Uh I think everything I've I've done so far in my life to the point where I am today was given I was given an opportunity and um you know we all walk a path in our life and at some point you have to decide if you're going to go left or right and uh, every opportunity that came was kind of like presented to me in a uh in a very short term decision making process is like you want to do this or you don't and uh um, so back when I'm actually from Germany, I'm from a small town outside of Cologne called Duren. Okay. Um, Cologne, big rock and roll city in Germany. Everybody has been, been there that, that plays music. Um, and, um, yeah, I started off back there. I'm, uh, I have a financial degree and, uh, in the summer days, um, I was going into the music business. One of my friends kind of, uh, asked me to, to help him out in the summer working with a band called the Kelly Family, which is an, an Irish uh, folk band living in Germany at that time. That was in 1993. Um, well, tall, six foot six guy speaking English was, uh, was very helpful to them. Mm -hmm. And um, that was one of the first steps. Started, you know, keep, keeping that business, um, working on the weekends, you know, moonlighting, helping my friend Angela out in, in, in his company, um, and just keep on growing. And so it was more like security, promotions? Yeah, it was, it was event security. You know, mm -hmm. I was looking after artists. Um, I think that's how I started always, and, and I think that's how I kept my philosophy in, in this business. Being very hands-on, of course. Always having, always having the artists back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from, from everything I've done always in my life is always having the artists back, and, and um, that's been like my punchline i would say you know every Absolutely. artist needs a tall friend 
Um, I yes, saw that we on do. the website. Yeah. Hence why we were joking off camera that me and you are Arnold and DeVito. We are twins. <laughs> yeah, the twins. It's a remake 2020. We got the beards. We you got know? the all black outfits. Yep. We're ready to rock. Got it all going. Matrix meets twins. <laughs> I like that. Yep. I like so, that. So, um, yeah. So back, back to the story in Germany. Um, I uh, started off being an event security, security uh, translator for a lot of the, the bands that came over to Germany. Um, worked with a lot of big German promoters. Um, it kind of like it was a it was kind of a whirlwind um working on the financial side as a as a daytime job and then on the on the weekends working in the music business which was um kind of exhilarating to see live music as its best um every night eight o'clock lights go out you know the crowd goes berserk you know and and it's that that happy moment that i think we're all uh, while chasing in the life business, you know, uh -huh. that, that one second after the lights go out, the first bar in the music and, and the whole arena, club, whatever, whatever size venue yeah. you're in, you know, goes upside down yeah, and you, you, have, you have two hours of, uh, of forgetting all the shit in life. Yeah. You know, I think I think you know what what I really like about working in in the life music business is that uh, you know we're we're helping the artist or I'm helping the artist um, you know kind of erase uh, everybody's sorrows mm -hmm. for one for one hour for two hours whatever you want to call it and everybody goes home happy you mm -hmm. know so mm -hmm. it's almost like being you know being a therapist uh, no it's almost <laughs> like being an elf for Chris, for the santa claus you know you're kind of helping making everybody happy so yeah um if sure. you consider the artist being santa claus you know i'll, I'll consider myself an elf um, i give you re uh, a reindeer out, a reindeer uh, maybe no. i'm more of the elf not not really more, you know, maybe elf. i'm more of the elf more elf than reindeer well i don't i don't do you know short people jokes <laughs> so i'm glad you took that for yourself <laughs> So, um, that's something that's very interesting. You coming from from live, and a lot of people in the music business, when record sales, you know, plummeted, they kind of, you know, everybody wanted to move into live because that's where the tangible buck everybody kind of knows now. But you kind of, I think, have a unique perspective because you came from the live and you are still in the live. Well, it, it it's never going to change, right? Like, um, if you go two thousand years back, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no, there was nothing going on. It was always live music. There was no recorded you know? music. <laughs> There's yeah, no exactly. recorded music. It was just like grab the guitar and start playing. You know, That's and right. I don't think that has that has changed um, in any way. You know, uh, you, you're looking at the Rolling Stones, U2. Um, you're looking at you know who's in Vegas right now, who's who's still touring, who's breaking the records. Um, Ed Sheeran, I think, is the is the perfect example. You know, Poster making for that, yeah. making uh, uh, almost half a billion dollars by Play, I don't know if, if you guys know the show, but it's just him and the guitar and the yeah. loop paddle. You know, yeah. no band, nothing. It's just a huge stage. And he's killing and, um, it. And that, that, that's amazing, you know. Yeah. To that's connect, talent. That's to, talent. To connect, to connect, just going out there and to connect to the audience with your music and, and your ability to, uh, to loop yourself and, and understanding chords and, and different things and, and making people happy, you know. Wembley Stadium... Um, you know, th there's no, there's no flying. There is no pyro. There's, there's not. It's just like an acoustic video show, and, like an unplugged, yeah, but and, in a big. And, in a and big, everybody uh, knows the songs. It's just a big sing along, you know. And I think that's smart. That's what people want, you know. People, people want to have a good time. 
Absolutely. And they want to be engaged and they want to be part of the experience. You know? It so always bothered me when an artist wouldn't address the crowd like on an individual basis. It sounded rehearsed like he did it 75 times before. You know, and just inserted the name of the city, you know? Montreal, right? are you ready? That's it. And everything's the same cookie cutter show. You know, not, and I, I have to say, you know, being in this for almost, well, long, you know, for almost more than half of my life, uh, and I've seen so many performers on stage, off stage, behind the stage, after the show, before the show, and, and I think, you know, some people, some people are studio musicians that are have to go on stage and other people are are live musicians that you know probably have the same problems going to the studio you mm. know i think i think everybody has a has a different um strength. forte and strength and um you know it it's you have to learn both ways you you have to learn how to be a good songwriter you have to learn how to go be a good producer you have to learn how to be a good stage musician you know you got to you got to perfect your craft in, in any kind of, of way, I have to perfect my craft. You have to perfect your craft. Everybody Absolutely. here, you know, whatever we do in life, you have to give it your best. You and know? the goal should be to master the craft and we're forever learning. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think every show is different. Mm -hmm. That's why I really enjoy the live business. You know, every venue is different. Every crowd is different. Every, every language in, in that city you're in is different. Um, every song that the, that the audience likes is different. There's not always the favorite song in each city. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a new challenge every day. And, and, uh, and I think that's, that's what you, as a life musician, should really, really enjoy, you know, and, and the connection with the band. Sometimes you play on a Sunday and everybody's tired because they were drinking all weekend, you know, mm -hmm. and you got to get them back on your feet. Sometimes, you know, you don't, you, you don't need to do anything on a Friday night. Everybody's ready to go and party. You just need to basically drop the first chord and, and, the, and the arena ignites. That's right. You know, sometimes you go to a country where they don't even speak your language, mm -hmm. you know, so why even talk to them? But you should, yeah. you know, it's like, so it's, it's, it's a craft, you know, there, is, there is, a, is a way for you, you have to learn it. You know, there, I think there's young artists, 17, 18 years old that, that enjoy themselves doing it, but they need to learn how to address the crowd. They need to learn how to That's right. uh, pick a set list, you know, and, and, and like... That's an art onto its own. It a is. Lot of, a lot of people can write and produce incredible albums, but the live aspect is a totally different forte, and I couldn't agree with you more. You yeah. know, even so, within so, hip-hop. So, Bless, let me ask you a question, though. Mm. You're here recording. You're a recording on. artist, right? Oh, here it is. So, how many shows have you done in your life? Hundreds. Right. So, how many albums have you done in your life? Five. Okay. When was your last album? Two and a half years ago. Why? Well, right now we were between we were between situations like between deals, and we were just going single by single. But I actually do have a show July nineteenth in Ottawa coming up. In Ottawa, nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're finally picking up again. Picking back up with the music. We kind of spent the last year kind of bringing this project to life because I wanted to start a little platform. I thought that that communication was missing in our city. Mm -hmm. and I thought that I had so many, uh, you know, great friends such as yourself with so many amazing stories. And people and didn't know you like this. They didn't well, not get to hear Bless talk. You know what I mean? Bless they knew me talk. as an artist or in nightlife. But right. They, didn't, they never got a chance to see that side of me. And my co-host actually let me know. He was Hi. part of Epic Mealtime. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Nope. But um, they went really viral. They were like the first. Um, we're, we're, we're like platinum on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. what at a cooking yeah. show yeah. where yeah. they would do extreme shit. Million in a day every time we put out a video. It was dumb for a bunch of years. But... Not, like all good things, it comes to an end, right? But we had a we had a nice run. Well, we you better a, be proud of it. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know? They Special. did some interesting things, and you know we've we we all we all have our glory stories. But at the end of the day, I wanted to kind of give a different perspective because you know a lot of people don't get to talk to a guy like Vico. They're not you know fortunate to get to to really pick your brain and 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 understand the dynamics of what you do because what what you do is multifaceted. But to answer your question, I've been in the studio like a month. Actually, you've been to the studio just producing, trying to send shit out to other people and diverse but I actually finally do feel I want to play you some shit like I'm ready like I have a couple Good. like I have a couple records and uh, hey bless maybe... am I coming to Ottawa yeah of course <laughs> All right. come July 19th I'm in isn't, isn't that where you're bringing the whole setup to Ottawa and you do the same I shit I would there? love to yeah I got some shit oh you mean like, so, like a podcast shouldn't you do that on the road like Eventually. take it on the road backstage we and... definitely want to and with Oceaga coming up and all that shit we're definitely trying to uh, yeah. to line a bunch of stuff up uh, in accordance with that <coughs> But yeah, no, I'm actually on on an artist tip, super duper looking forward to that. And I kind of made my bones and learned, you know, I was guru from Gangstars, hype man for many years. So I was fortunate enough to soak up game and to learn from the right. best. And, um, you know, they definitely taught me that that rocking a crowd and making a record are two totally different disciplines. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, you know, old school rappers like KRS-One and LL Cool J, uh, you know, all the way up until, you know, the Busta Rhymes that I just as as a, as a young MC would study because a lot like Ed Sheeran, guys like KRS and LL didn't need nothing fancy just the fucking playback and the mic, and they could really command the crowd. And, right. you know, in hip-hop, the MC is the master of ceremony. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to master the ceremony, right. not just rap. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. know what I mean? And, and, yeah, be, and be a host and be a party rocker first and foremost. And that's a discipline that not everybody has, you know? No, no, it's all about creating the experience, right? And I think, I think we talked about it before. It's like, you know, you can... You can uh, either, you know, have your two-hour show or even if it's a, you know, I, I think it's even harder to have a 30-minute show and, uh, and let the crowd go out wanting more, mm. you know. I think that, that typical of, like, special guest 30 minutes before, the sh you know, the main act, I think it's very crucial, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a lot of main acts are, you know, are forgetting to select their support acts. I think they're all just being, you know, given away and there's no thought on it, but... Yeah, like to align themselves even like niche and vibe-wise with what would gel yeah, with I think, their Yeah, I think audience. back in the days, you know, I mean, you, you, you just mentioned it. It's like, I think a lot of people would pick the DJ before, the, you know, Fuck before yeah. they go on or they would, they would have someone from the family or, mm -hmm. you know, whoever is part of the, the, the crew, you know, open up because mm -hmm. when they go out, they want to make sure that the crowd's on fire. Mm -hmm. So they just need a little spark to ignite them, you know, and, and, I, and I think that important slot um, as, as a direct support is is not being paid attention to anymore. You I, know? I even like, I opened for Mob Deep a couple of years ago and, um, you know, RIP Prodigy just before he passed away. And literally there was a couple of other openers and I volunteered right away. I said, oh, I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew what I was going to do. Yeah. I knew I was going to kill it. And then they would be ready for Mob Deep and good luck to whoever's yeah. after me. Yeah. Rather mm -hmm. than, you know, them dwindling out and being like, fuck you, yeah. bring Mob Deep on right now. I, I came in there, energy was full. They were ready to see yeah. the show. Gave it my all, crushed it. I was like, you guys ready for Mob Deep? Well, I don't know. You got four hours to go. That's the, you know, that's the fucker move. But, you know, everybody want to be Hollywood. Like, oh, I don't want to go first. I, I said, 
oh, I'll go first. I said, oh, bless. You sure you don't mind? Because, you know, we don't mind if you go right before. My I said, absolutely, absolutely bro. Yeah. I'll go on 845. <laughs> let these guys come on at midnight. And the show will already be done by the time I get off. And yeah, 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 good yeah. luck. Good luck dealing with the crowd's fury. On the bigger <laughs> shows, and I'm saying like, like yeah. uh, uh, arenas, and this is something that I have no idea about. So please help me understand. The smaller acts... Are they chose, chosen by the artist that's headlining? Or is that done through the management and who's producing the tour? Who makes those decisions? I think it's a case-by-case case, um, yeah? okay. situation where, you know, a lot of... Booking um, agents. Well, there's, there's a lot of politics involved. There's mm -hmm. a lot of label politics involved. Sure. There's a lot of internal management. There's some artists that, you know, are, are very uh, specific about bringing uh, or discovering talent and bringing them on tour with them. Um, way, way back, you know, I think it's almost 10 years ago, I worked with Regina Spector, um, who, uh, who, was, a, who was basically uh, friends with uh, the Kings of Leon. Mm -hmm. And, um, you Big know, they, they, they took her on the road just with her keyboard. And, you know, she nailed it for them on, on, on an arena run like mm. crazy, you know, and built her audience. And they, they, they were friends and, and, you know, they handpicked her and said, hey, that's the... That's the artist we want. We want to open for us, you know. I think. Um, and then there's the big tours too, right? Which is like six headliners. Like, well, then then you have you know the festivals. Yeah, you right. know, which no, I'm is saying like the Def Jam one back in the day kind of started it for me. The, yeah, the rock one with co-headliners and shit. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah exactly. Know? Well, the so, Vans Warped Tour, you know, all these all these different things. I think that's where. Um, the flavor of the year is is coming out. Mm -hmm. You know, you got the big headliners, you get the newcomers, you got the, you know, the politics where you know the the booking agent of the big uh, headliner is like, no, 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 but I have this upcoming band. You know, it's all about leverage. It's all about your network. It's all about leverage, and uh, sometimes you know it doesn't really work with the crowd. I think a lot of I think you know a lot of of artists don't really care, like. They they're might, just happy they, to be on they the might road. just get to the venue five minutes before they're on stage and they really don't know who's opening up for them, you know, and, and that, that usually happens a lot when you do like European tours or international tours where Because sometimes where, they sell out the slots territorially. Well, there like. is, you know, there's also a, a, a very, very interesting system around the world, you know, where the local government actually tells you that you need to have a local support act. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's 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 very much like if you want to play into in their country, you know, you got to make sure you support their own talent, which I think is is actually a really really good thing. Yeah, it gives um, a fair shake. To, you know, to it's it's to like you you you're bringing a huge artist to a stadium, you know, and why not give a chance to a local? And not act, always a chance. You know, even and, even some big artists that we may not know about, you might know, but like. The average person doesn't know about it. Could be huge in their country, yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and give a boost to the artist too, right? Abs absolutely, and it just gives them an opportunity to also showcase the the, the local arts. Dope, you know, um, I think that should never be underestimated. You know? Absolutely, and, um, yeah. So, time for a water break. <laughs> so, what's going on tonight? What's or sorry, tomorrow night? This is Daddy Yankee. You've been with him for. I just started. I just started working with Daddy uh, this year. Um, yeah. Well, I, before we go there, I you know I I kind of uh, know that you know you you know you've done a lot obviously, and you've been in this business many years. But you kind of I feel like found your niche within Latin music um, in the last you know decade, decade and a half. Am I correct to say that? Well, I I, I think you know I I got my start 
I got my first opportunity uh, when I was working for Luciana Pavarotti in, in Italy in 1999. Thick. Um, I didn't even know that. At, uh, That's dope. At, at his festival. Um, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little story that I, I always forget to tell. You know, and, please and, please uh, share. Um, so uh, the company I was working for in Germany was always looking after Luciano Pavarotti on the, on the international security mm -hmm. side. And um, when you say company, which company were you working for? I don't endorse any more companies. <laughs> fair. The security company he worked with. <laughs> okay. He was doing security. Fair, fair, fair. We're going to cut that out anyway. But um, <laughs> so, so I was called to, uh, to work in Italy for the, the Luciano Pavarotti organization, uh, you know. Um, and um, that uh, week, they're supposed to, I was supposed to look after Michael Jackson. Wow. Um, wow. He was he was announced to come and, and perform at the Pavarotti and Friends concert. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, day one goes by, he never got on the plane. Day two goes by, he never got on the plane. And um, uh, a colleague of mine was looking after uh, a singer at that time from Puerto Rico. And um, it was a big commotion. It was a big, you know, a big crowd just waiting for him outside the uh, the hotel. And... Um, my, my colleague asked me for some assistance. He was like, hey, can you go help us out? And mm -hmm. uh, so I, was, I, I started helping him out. And, uh, well, the, the artist at that time was Ricky Martin. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so I got, I got uh, introduced to the managers and to the personal managers. And um, we had a great working relationship there for the week. And um, so uh, Michael Jackson never showed up. So I, I stuck around, you know, helping my colleague out to work with Ricky Martin. And... Uh, yeah, I guess we did a great job because they called me a week later to go and and uh, fly to Japan and and uh, you yeah. know work with him in, in Japan. Amazing. So um, me being 22 years old, I was like, I guess pack my bags and you're going to fucking uh, Japan. You better right? going to Japan. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, you know, at that time it was it was his moment with the with the Grammys and it was his moment with uh, uh, living a vida loca. So. Mm -hmm. um, Got on the plane to Japan. Never been to Japan. Never, you know, actually never been on a eleven or twelve hour long flight. Yeah, mm, twenty two years old, and cool. uh, let's just go. It's let's an do this. Of course, you know. Um, I mean, I had the I had the international experience of working with a, a lot of different people with the Rolling Stones, with you two. Um, it was all mainly in Europe, though. This and, was prior and, to this. Yeah, so that was you know it was the first big international trip to Japan, and um, yeah, it worked out really well. I worked there for a week and. Um, I kind of like established a relationship and, and uh, you know, started working with him as the head of security for his Living a Vida Loca tour. And three years later, I kind of woke up, be like, oh, Living a Vida Loca is over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, was two, that was 2001 yeah. uh, after he took the first break. And, um, you know, and, and um, yeah, and I continued working in a field and um, continued working with, with Ricky Martin. You know, it took... 1999. It took um, 16 years um, until I finished working with him. Wow! So and you went uh, from a security role, I guess, later to a management role. Well, I went. I went basically. So um, from head of security, I went to tour manager. From tour manager, I went to uh, uh, creative producer. I went to tour director, um, basically, and then um, for about f three years. At the end, I was his manager. Yeah, so um, like full I, on. I did basically. I, I he trusted I worked, you. You did every. You I, did every I worked, job. I so. worked everything in that in that organization, and um, you know, I'm very thankful for every opportunity he's given me. Absolutely. And um, and I was I was happy to 
pay that favor back at the end of the day, you know, and absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it was, uh, it was an, an, an amazing experience, you know, and working in, um, a crossover environment, you know, being, being German, being raised German, not speaking Spanish to a point where, um, you know, I, I was, was so integrated into, into the, the, the Puerto Rican community, the Puerto Rican family, you know, everybody mm. in the band and, it was all everybody there was was Latino, and I was the only, you know, white guy, yeah. German gringo, <laughs> you know, um, that didn't speak Spanish. But um, you know, I, I, I guess I was uh, um, I was a great addition to the team, and absolutely, and uh, um, I kind of, you know, it it helped me grow as a person to mm -hmm. understand your different cultures, and and also you know, um, open up a little bit more to to the world, and uh, you know, thanks to uh, to that you know, crossover, moving to Miami, working in his office, you know, working with all the people there. I met my wife. She produced the, the Ricky Martin Unplugged. Nice. And, um, you know, and, cool. and for MTV Latin America. So, you know, the, I got plugged at the Unplugged at the end of the day. So, <laughs> got plugged yeah. at the Unplugged. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, so... So, so you ended up moving to Miami. And um, moving to Miami. That was in 2005. And after years of working with Ricky Martin, you were obviously well positioned in the in the Latin music. Well, you know, it's it's. I think the Latin music, just as very similar to your to your urban hip hop world, it's all based on trust, mm -hmm. right? Um, it takes a long time to really establish the trust, to build those relationships, um, build those relationships, you know, and 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 make people understand who you are as a person. I mean, obviously. Um, being German and, and moving in a, in a world that is, you know, you're not native to, like mm. you don't, you don't understand all the things, but you know, um, being around the Latin community, it was, was, uh, I, I think it's still one of the most beautiful things that have ever happened to me. Absolutely. You know? um, and embracing a culture that is not yours and, and being welcomed into a culture that is not yours. And, um, you know, I, I, it took me, it took me quite some time, but you know, I, I picked up learning Spanish. I, I picked up learning, <laughs> Puerto Rican, um, and um, you know I, I speak it now. I write it now. I I, uh, I understand it fluently, and, and I Very think that cool. helped me even more. You know, growing into that community and understanding, you know, uh, where they come from. Yeah, and and also understand what what is missing on their end. Infrastructure to, wise, to, to and also all that go into a world that they don't understand. Crossover, you know. Yeah. So um, working with someone like Ricky Martin, who who is. You know, clearly the biggest crossover star in the world, mm -hmm. um, and 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 having seen you know the uh, the lavish lifestyle of of the end of the '90s, we you know where where platinum records and diamond records, diamond and, records, you know where where, the where money was there huge. was no social media, where there was no you know there was no connection. You had to go from country to country to even promote your music it had mm -hmm. to be tv shows it had to be award shows you know it had to be live music in stores um, and you know to 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 get to a point in 2005 where the whole industry crashed that's mm -hmm. right you know napster showed up and now it's like there's no more revenue for the labels you know and and, and youtube and, starts and, to explode and, and everything's and on demand and, and seeing and how slow uh the industry reacted to to the changes they were not also ready they how it how it affected an art an artist you know it's like you're going, you're going, and 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 being able to like have all these big budgets and video budgets, and then at some point the, you know the the people that that supported you for six, seven, ten years all gone. They all been fired. You yeah. know they've been 
Like, oh, there's right. a merger. There's this going on. The people that, you know, you called yesterday are not there today anymore. I, I well, tell me about it. I, I, you know, I, yeah. started, I started in that, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s, when, you know, these labels would hold your hand and chase you and, you know, book your sessions and, do, and throw money at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it implodes. You're left to your own devices. It's every right. man for themselves. And the people who used to cut your check aren't even in the business anymore. Right. And, um, you know, and I, and I think it's, it's, uh, I think it goes back to, to where, where, where I saw the business change all the time. And the one consistent thing that's always been there. Live music. Is live music. And I think you were very well positioned, first of all, from your background in 93, starting in live music. Uh, you know, I've seen you, I've been fortunate enough to see you work, you know, uh, Vico was nice enough to invite me and my producer out to a couple shows that he produced. He brought Nikki Jam to the Bell Center. He also brought Romeo Santos. And, you know, I've been around a lot and I've seen a lot of people stressing out over details. And the way that I saw Vico handling, you know, a stadium show was just flawless effortless i was very impressed that (laughs) it just didn't phase him he had a small (laughs) team he had me and my boy there and it went off without a hitch and i think a lot of people were maybe skeptical when you had this vision and then now look at not even two years later you know latin music is is it was already kicking ass on the charts i gotta i gotta gotta be honest you know it's like i think it was the only the only two shows in montreal and the only two shows in in toronto we're talking about major downtown mainstream venues yes nobody has repeated that yet and and, i I woke up to it and i was like you know what i did my research yeah it was like latinos are not niche artists anymore that's right you know they are not represented in canada mainstream artists yeah you know but they're still being treated as niche artists go in the suburbs you know go to laval and quebec was late to the party absolutely uh, well you know and 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 i think and i think you know the one thing that i noticed with canada is like and it was always my philosophy is like i don't think latinos in canada are latinos i think they're canadians first right you know when my 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 difference was well my thought was always like okay i i i've seen latinos live all over the world right like if you work with a puerto rican artist you go We've, we've been to Australia, we've been yeah. to New Zealand, we've been anywhere in the world. We've been to China, we've been to Japan. Latinos are everywhere. Of course. Right? Um, they, they love their culture. They're excited about every time someone comes and represents their culture anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's also the fact that, um, listen... Would you, let's say you, you have a, you have a, a, a Colombian friend. Mm-hmm. He tells you, hey, we're going to go to Laval, you know. Or he tells you, hey, we're going to go down to the Bell Center. What's mm-hmm. more attractive to you? you know? Bell Center, obviously. Because that's where you go see Drake and that's where you go see The weekend and sure. Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and everybody is mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know the venue. I know exactly where I go to eat. I know where mm-hmm. I'm going to have a drink afterwards. You know, I, I I know where I can sit. I know where I can. So it's it it, it was my philosophy basically to, to make sure that Latinos are not being treated as second class citizens. Yeah. Um, when they come and do concerts, mm-hmm. because that's when you also single out their their audience and say, listen, you're not good enough for the big arena. You know, so this is an like ethnic show just, and push it you just out. Go to out the into the suburbs, yeah. into yeah. some some shitty ice rink. Yeah. You know, Place Bell. Or, you said or, it, Laval. You go to Place Bell, which is the smaller one. Well, the Place Bell is actually really nice. Yeah, it, it is, is a beautiful really place, nice. but it's, it's not the Bell Center. It's it's a beautiful it's the little place. brother. 
I'm I'm more talking about there was there was venues before that. Oh yeah, there was the metropolises and shit. Where where you know you don't see the production, you can't yeah. bring your production. It all looks like eh, it should not be here. There were like a like you a know? glorified hall kind of shows. But, you're, but where at they the were... end, you're still being charged 150 dollars a night. Yeah. You know, for a bad experience, yeah. for the same experience, you can you can be at the yeah. Bell Center. So how you know? do you make that jump? I mean, I love that you did it, but well, here's the you... thing. Here's the thing. He was able to do it after 15 years <laughs> on the road with the top yeah, of yeah, the yeah, top. Yeah. He kind of you know mastered those pitfalls that so many Johnny Come Lately promoters fall into, right? Everybody who has a little money to invest gets excited and they want to do it, but they get swallowed in the details. And obviously, it, Vico was in a position. It's different, to it's not. different producing a club show or a discotheque, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I, it's it's a lot of these promoters are going out and be like, you know, I'm gonna try I'm gonna this, take that and and put it out, and I'm gonna treat it like a club and. You know, and I'm I'm just gonna want to make money on the bar, and I don't really care about the ticket prices and the experience. But mm-hmm. again, it, it's coming back to an experience. You know. Oh if, yeah, absolutely. If, it's very simple. If we would sit here in a podcast room and you would have three wooden chairs, right, and some shitty mics and some horrible like GoPros, I would probably walk out again. Yeah. You know, but it's actually making me feel good to be here, to look at you know professional setup. Um, and that that's something that that I think in life everybody wants. You know? One thousand like percent. Anywhere you go, you want you want a good experience. It's not really about the money. It's not really about. It's about the feeling, right? It's all Absolutely. about energy. You know, it's about, Absolutely, and it's so, about your your audience walking away being pleasantly surprised with the level of production and being it. like, when Vico brings a show. I'm going to fucking go because I know these guys are about their shit and there's going to be no bad experiences, no clown shit, no last minute surprises. We did a fantastic after party yeah, even after where I had to get we his were. buddy's hat back. These dudes were trying to press his boy. We were blessed. These know. dudes were trying to press his boy. I had to go get his hat back. That was, that was, that was random. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yo, like the guy, like some, what was the story? Some guy like took his buddy's hat off of his head and it's his, you know, it's company hat. Like, it had his shit so he's like repping and then like the girl's like dancing on a dude and she took the hat like trying to be cute and then like i don't think he minded that because i'm you know whatever, whatever he thought the girl was flirting but the girl's with another dude and then the dude's like nah i'm not giving you your hat back um you know here's 50 bucks like trying to like impress the girl and then like he comes to me and he goes you know i don't want to make a problem you know it's not my city but you know right. this guy won't give me my hat back and i'm like Rrr. i'm like who won't give you your hat back yeah, where are we? We're I'm like, who will give you a hat back? So this guy's a little elephant here. So, so I, I go mean, up to I the, don't remember any of that. So I go <laughs> up to the wall. It? That's because you were wasted at the at the table. <laughs> if you knew about this in six foot six, there might have been a different problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just having a good time, and he, this guy, just busted his ass to fucking do two concerts back to back. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I don't want to bother him for such a stupid detail, but I talked to the guy diplomatically and nicely, and. He saw the the reasonableness and yeah. not causing chaos, and he gave him the hat back. And then he actually ended up apologizing, and we all had a drink, there and all go. was good. Way yeah. it should be. But you know, let, we, me, let me ask you something. So, mm. out of your actually, the questions for the both of you. Mm. So, out of your uh, experience, what was your favorite live concert so far in your life? That I that I went to, or that I was part of? No, no, no. That you went to. That you've seen with your own eyes and you're like, wow. Uh, can, I, can I grab this one? Sure, go for it. You um, start. It's, it's a, more personal for me. And the reason being is because I had a friend who uh, was in the business and we made a delivery to Snoop's hotel room before his show. And we sat with Snoop for probably about I, an hour I, and I a half. I don't think it was Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? No. 
Um, there wasn't pizza either, huh? We, we sat with Snoop. I was probably about 20, 21 years old. We sat with Snoop for probably two, three hours, kicking it, smoking joints, listening to music, talking shit. I said something along the lines of like, last time you were in town, you didn't do anything off a of doggy style. Do you have like anything planned? And the first thing he came out with was with a live band to What's My Name. And I'm just like, I looked around and I was going like this, like I did this, guys. <laughs> so that, that was mine. That was a special moment. Okay. And, and Buster Rhymes was in that show. I saw Buster Rhymes for the first time. Yeah. Buster Rhymes probably the best live performer. Where I've was ever this seen. show? It was at the Bell Center. I uh, think I was there. Uh, that was the a good show. Uh, uh, what's the guy who had I Ain't Never Scared? Remember that song? Uh, Punisher. Bone Crusher. Bone Crusher. So yeah, I, I think I was I, I was actually at that show and one. ended up getting into a fight at a strip club with the scummy manager who looked like Ron Jeremy. Okay. I remember that night. Fair enough. Bone um, Crusher got on and his song was like inciting riots at the time. There was problems with it. I ain't yeah. never scared. I ain't, I ain't never, never scared. scared yeah. And he said, go to the security. And I felt bad because the security are like young, you know, hired staff. They're not real security. No, yeah. not at and the Bell Center. Exactly. They're nice. And, and They're like super nice. Big, full grown dudes are screaming in his face. I ain't <laughs> never scared. And it's like, it's, it's going to be a problem soon. <laughs> They're like ushers. Right. Yeah, they're kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, and they're yeah, so exactly. nice, you know? Yeah, that's it. That, um, was, that was the one. I would have to say, uh, personal moment, uh, first time I played in Cali with Guru, who I grow up, you know, he's one of my favorite rappers, um, and we played House of Blues in LA, which is such a legendary event. So for me, that was a very cathartic moment. And I remember he was, uh, he was doing, I think it was Mass Appeal. And, I, and he said, you know, when this song hits, that's your cue to come out, oh, back yeah. me up. We'll do this many songs and I'll let you do one of yours. And then I just remember like doing the ad libs to like my favorite songs in high school and just taking two seconds to look to be like, this is, is this even real? <laughs> and then that, that moment was like, you know, no matter what happens moving forward, it's already been so fun this to this point. List. It was worth it. You right. know? So that was, a, that was a moment. And then one of the craziest live shows that I ever saw, hip hop wise, we're, we're just going gutter here, was KRS-One. The motherfucker was throwing out autographed tennis balls. And that's when that step into a world. He brought two B-boys from New York City breakers who were spinning on their head. This is like nine, yeah, like Mid 97, to late 90s. 96, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And bro, the, the, the mic control, the crowd control that he had with just that one mic really had me in awe to be like, okay, the, this live shit is an art. Because KRS to me, and some people might debate me. He was never my favorite lyricist, but definitely after that experience, one of my favorite live performers because it was just, it was hip hop at its purest form. Mike Control, you mic, said it before, maestro, master of ceremonies. One mic and a DJ. Um, bigger productions. Um, absolutely loved the Hard Knock Life tour. That was kind of Def Jam in its commercial peak. That was special. When Re Method Man and Red Man came out on fucking suspended in the air flying and Jay-Z still stage. had the do-rag and DMX was there and that was like when, you know, hip-hop started entering like that crossover that you talked right. about. Can we, can we flip it back? What was your favorite? Wow. Right? Well, You've been through a lot. Like number one all time, maybe there's a moment that was like the pinnacle you know, something that... It, it, interestingly enough, I really... I, I don't go to shows, right? I rarely go to concerts. Okay, so well, I'm sure it's because it's like when you bartend, um, you don't want to go for a right. drink on your but what day about, off. But what about actually being in the venue, working, I, I, and having like I, a... Well, I had, the, I had the, uh, the amazing privilege to work with uh, Queen, right? With the band wow. Queen. Wow. And um, 
you know, where, they, what, um, what was the... They, they, they came back with a singer called Paul Rogers okay. um, as a front man in Ooh. 2005. Ooh. And um, so... Europe? Um, it, was, it, was, it was in Europe, and um, it, was a, it was a big run. Um, it was one of those funny opportunities that I had, because I was, I was in Cologne working for uh, a promoter there, and they called us, I think, on a Sunday night, said we have uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor in town tomorrow. Um, we need someone to, to drive them around. And, um, you know, they, I jumped in the car, Drove Brian for a week in, in Cologne while he was while he was auditioning um, the We Will Rock You uh, musical cast in Cologne. Nice. And uh, we got along really well. And you know, at the end of the the whole run, he was like, "Hey, you know, we're going on tour. You want to come?" I'm like, "Sure, yeah." That seems to be a reoccurring <laughs> theme with my boy Vico. Um, I I feel like the same thing happened to you with Romeo Santos. Well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, going back to, I don't want to lose that question, but going back to that moment is like, um, you know, we, we, uh, we went to Sheffield, um, which is uh, Freddie Mercury's hometown. Mm -hmm. wow. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a special day um, being around such an iconic band. <laughs> In uh, his hometown. And, 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 and them playing, you know, ever since, you know, since Freddie died, mm -hmm. it was the first time they came back to Sheffield to play a show okay. with a different front man. Nice. You know, so, and I know, and I know, you know, that they were all friends for a very long time, mm -hmm. as, you know, everybody knows the, 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 the movie now. I mean, they were a unit, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and coming back and seeing, uh, you know, Freddie's family there, the mom was at the show, nice. you know, the, the whole family was at the show and, and being able to feel, you know, that audience, you know, singing every single lyric. Doesn't from, get much bigger than From Queen. top to bottom, you know. How many, and, like, was it a, a field, like a festival? Or? It, was, it was two hours of, you know, and it was two hours of, of uh, you know, of, of your, your hair standing on your mm -hmm. arm. And, and it was like, you know, I'm actually getting paid, you know, to do this job and experience that moment. Special, you know, right? And, and, yeah. and being in, you know, around the stage and, and, feeling that you know magical energy there and and uh you know and and then at the end you know they throw freddie singing live you know on the video oh, screen and, and the whole person the tears completely sure. nuts. <laughs> you know those i think those are moments that um you know that 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 i will never forget in my life yes, you know um you know being able to work with Queen i feel like you've had so many of those but that one well, was just like no but that one was like 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 the amplified one like that was the one that like there's always that rush that i mean feeling. that you know I, I think it's i think it's specific to each band i've worked with okay. you know it's like Fair. working working with with uh with ricky martin i mean there's so many different ones you know it's like um uh, li li from from like little things to where you you know you work with an openly gay man and you perform at the Voice, uh, in in uh, in Beirut, you know, and you see that he's being you know aired to forty different Muslim countries, you know, wow, as right? a, as an openly gay man. And it's like the big you know, deal. Nobody thinks about it, but you know, it's those are those are little things yeah, for me in, in 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 my in my life. Where I'm like, those are milestones mm -hmm. that people might not really care about, you know, or, or even or, realize or, in the moment. Yeah, or you know how how significant it is mm -hmm. for the world, mm -hmm. not just for him or for me. Or it's it's actually something that you it's know historic. That, that You're part of history. You know, music music can has no. First of all, for me, music has no language. Mm -hmm. You know, music has no religion. 
um, music is a universal language that that works all over the world. You know, and, and when I, you think about it, music is the one thing nobody in the world can say they don't like. Right, literally. Literally. Is the only thing, and it You're definitely. You're a real tr- pervert if you don't like music, eh? <laughs> and <laughs> like, even the shit. most perverted people, I'm sure, like some sort of weird music. But it definitely transcends everything, and that's yeah. that's what makes it powerful. Well, I think I think one thing is is you know when when you see that you know billionaires are hanging around rock stars, right? Because that that feeling you can't buy, mm-hmm. right? Right? You can't like that moment. You can the moment. You are a performing artist. You're on stage, and you have you know five people in front of you screaming at you, or five hundred thousand. That's right. You know, it's like that's that's something that you, you know you you can do a lot with money in this world. Mm-hmm. But, but that kind of power, that you know, power you can't buy. I've done know? I've done some really like glamorous gigs where I get to you know perform with fucking Akon, you know, in front of twenty thousand people, and I've done some gigs that I was hyped to do, but the promoter was an amateur. He dropped the ball, and you end up playing to seven people in a spot and my philosophy was well we came all the way here let's fucking have fun at very worst we're rehearsing and those people will never forget that i actually made the effort because you know yeah. it's all fine and dandy to be hype when you're in front of you know 15,000 20,000 people or when you're you know opening for your favorite group but you you know you can't forget that if you're a professional you give 100 percent no matter well, you what you should be grateful because those people didn't leave not only that, they but could have seen your face and be like, "Why do I need to listen to this guy?" There you go. So they wanted to see you, so you got to, you know. Oh, you, oh, you, absolutely, and and, and I and I take that very seriously. And you know, those are the times, even if it's not seven people, even if there's just a hundred people, you actually get to connect with those people, mm-hmm. and those people will be your diehard supporters right. more so than the five thousand people that aren't there to see you. And sometimes you do a gig for small money. And, you know, they see you went the extra mile for them and you busted your ass and they'll buy all your merch. You'll triple your money because they want to support you. Because and they'll they call see you back if they have something else too. You know what I mean? Listen, there's the, there's the theory of the super fan, right? Which I don't think it's even a theory. It's actually reality, you know? So talk um, about that, please. You need 5,000, I think is the number, right? Well, is it 5,000 fans that are willing to buy on, and then you're... It depends on how much rent you have to pay every month, you know? <laughs> depends what your overhead is. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, we live in a world where everything's free, right? You, mm-hmm. Likes are for free, views are for free. Like, there's, there's little effort for a fan. Actually, you don't call them fan. You call them followers, right? Of course. Mm. So, so there's a difference between fans and followers. Um, followers do everything that is for free, right? They like your post. They, uh, they, you know, they stream you for free. They don't pay for it. Mm-hmm. They go to YouTube and they watch your video for free. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's for free, right? Yeah. They check your Insta story for free. They don't need to pay for it. Um, and then there's fans, right? They follow you. They, uh, they promote you. They actually pay for things that you offer to them. You know, they, they are the ones that, that finance your career, that, supporters, yeah. that support you, you know, and, uh, and, you know, there, there is, you know, for every young artist out there, you know, there's nothing more important than building fans because they will be there forever. They will support you if you have good music or bad music. Mm-hmm. They will come to your show and use their hard-earned money or the money they had to back for from their parents or borrow from a friend mm-hmm. or you know, however they get their money um, to pay for a ticket. If it's $10, if it's $100, if it's $200, 
you know, if they pay if they like your your T-shirt design or whatever, they they buy your merch because they they want to be connected to you. Absolutely. You know? So um, I think a lot of artists in in this world forget the step of mm -hmm. connecting to an audience. Mm -hmm. Like you know, there's back in the days. I, I'm sure you 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 know you you had the best examples. There's like there's the radio artists mm -hmm. play at every festival. You know, they're always there. They have the number one radio hits. They're they're around all year. You know, wonderful, amazing, and I'm, I'm, you know, they make great music, they make great pop music. But when, when it comes to like selling out a club for 500 people, they, they don't sell the tickets. Mm -hmm. You know, because they, they just don't connect. They don't, they don't create have that, that core experience. Following. You know, and, yeah. and so I think actually someone locally, you know, that that sells 200 tickets here in Montreal is a better look than is is <clears throat> is on the long give run. Give me some No, is 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 actually <laughs> you know really going through the steps. That's right. Like. You know, the 200 people this year, the 500 next year, then maybe the festival opening slot at 2 p.m. without the lights, without the video, just in the dire sun, five people in front of you. It's just that's how you build your audience. You know, that's when you go out and sign autographs. It's when you take your selfies. That's, you know, and I think you see that, you know, I have to go back to Ed Sheeran. You know, he started playing in the pub for beer. You know, it's like, I think that builds your character. I think that that really makes you a better performer. Absolutely. Um, it, it makes you master the, the crowd. It, it makes you appreciate the crowd. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's it's easy to, yeah, yeah I, I don't think anything is easy anymore in this business. But, yeah. you know, we all know that. that makes it manageable. <laughs> you, can, you can turn up the flame on a Spotify stream or you can turn up the flame on, on YouTube. And a you, lot you can of break, smoke and mirrors. You can break the numbers, you know, but mm -hmm. translating that to actually getting into a car, a van, driving from city to city and having promoters book you and, uh, and promoters really want you in their town and That's they understand, right. hey, you know, this, this, this guy or this girl, this band, you know, this DJ is bringing business to mm -hmm. me because it's a business, right? right? So um, being a good partner to a promoter, being a good partner to a venue and them being good partners to you in, in, in exchange, you know, while you're gone for six months, they're going to keep your name out there. That's they're right. going to help you, you know, get other gigs because they want to be part of they're your career. They're going to throw you other, upper, other opportunities you know, because, you know, you actually connected with them. You built a relationship. You appreciated it. Yeah. Instead of partying and drinking your face off, you were like, yo, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm here if you ever need me. You know what I mean? I, I think I think that's, that's something that's really important. And, and also, you know... Um, it's, it's longevity, right? If you're an artist, if, if you're a real artist and you want to do this for the rest of your life, you know, um, and I think I told you this, it's like, it's, it's, ne it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? That's right. Like, your music career is, is you know, is, is going to be up and down. It's going to be a roller coaster of emotions. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be the good album, the bad album, the good song, the bad song. Sometimes, you know, and I'm sure you've seen this with groups you work with, you make a body of work that you're proud of and it doesn't connect the way you hoped. But here's the thing. You're not making art for the masses. You're making art for yourself. Absolutely. So whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to put on stage, whatever you, you your concept is, you know, you've got to find your audience. Just like... Um, you know, a designer is going to have to find the people that want to buy his clothes. You know, you you you're going to have to you're going to have to do it. The art has to come. I love what you just said. That's such a gem. Do it for yourself, 
and find the audience that will be receptive to it. Yeah. Because so many people get that ass backwards, right? Well, so many people are making music f- with an intended audience in mind. Well, we fucked up. When, when, and it's not music, but we fucked up. We were the boys in the kitchen making these stupid meals, and then we went Hollywood. Then we moved out to LA, and there was a huge disconnect when we all learned how to use the cameras and actually make a show. The point that I'm making is like sometimes like the ghetto grimy shit that you were on on your first album, when you get to your second album and you have a little bit of money, now you have to find the new fan base because you just grew up a little bit. You don't have the same, your responsibilities are different. Well, you got you to gotta make sure that you don't, you know, that, that, that you stay true to yourself. Right. Absolutely. You know? It's it's a longer way. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot more bumps. There's a lot more. You got to adjust people. on the fly. Well, this, we didn't know what we did, and then people were like, "There was a backlash. These guys aren't the same. They went Hollywood. Like, no, we didn't. We're we gonna get were, that no matter what. That's the nature we were of growing. this. And, but but the views went psh, at that point. Listen, there's a there's a famous there's a famous quote from David Bowie. You know mm-hmm. that that he basically says he never play for the gallery. Mm. right always always do what you feel as an artist you you need to do absolutely um you know and um the hardest part you know and th- and th- and i think that's why i for whatever reason feel it's my you know it's my calling to work with artists if they're young old you know at the at the end of the day um every artist no matter if they're how successful they are, every every artist wakes up, and pretty much, like a lot of people in the arts, they wake up every day to be rejected, mm-hmm. right? I think rejection in, in in our society is the harshest um, feeling to oh, wake yeah. up you, to. Every if you day. don't have thick skin, if you're not used to rejection, you have no future in this no, business. But you know, it's like, and 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 I think you know, um, the the fear of rejection, you know. I think is is uh, is the is the hardest thing for an artist. But from day one, I think you know, as an artist, you learn how to deal with re- rejection. And some people are, you know, some people getting out of the process broken, you know, and they need help and they need people to 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 surround them and and keep pushing them and and mm-hmm. helping them to be the best artist they can. Mm-hmm. And some some other artists have that they build that wall around them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you like. Oh, that guy's an asshole, or that guy is—you know—he doesn't take care of his people. Or he's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I mean, there is, there is, there's a, a very harsh reality to being an artist, you know, because you, the art you create, um, not everybody's gonna like it, mm-hmm. you know. So you you have to go through that, and you you're gonna have to keep on going, just to wake up every day, and have the fear of rejection or being rejected, or you know, just. But hey, you know, you're going into someone's office, you know, a label or Spotify or streaming yeah. or back in the days to radio and you play the music and it's like, man, we don't like it. But yeah. you, for you, it's the best work you've ever done. Yeah, sure. Just to, to have that in your mind and then walk out the door, turn around, like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to keep on I like it. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to find my audience. Of course. I'm gonna, you know, that whole determination um i mean that's bravery 
Absolutely. You, know? and you have to I, tell and them what they want sometimes. Sometimes you have to mm. kind of force feed people to tell them because they don't know because any bit of change, right away they're going to have a, like, something to say about it. Well, I, I, I want to I turn the, the camera now on an artist, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm, I'm the guy behind the, yeah. the artist. You consider what well, you do art? Well, we haven't. Um, you know what? Until about, Is there an art to it? Until about two months. There's an art to it. Um, until about two months ago, not. I see him. I've seen but, you work, Vico. There's an art to what you do. But then I realized, you know, it's like you're an artist too. I'm like, I'm not an artist. But there's but an then, art you know, of what there's you an do. art to what, to you, what do. you do. So, yeah, I think there is. But, um, you know, I think going back to, to being an artist, I mean, when was the first time you remember, you know, creating your own music? How old were you there? Probably five. <laughs> Fuck yeah! I started writing, at, you know, writing before I could write. Meaning, I started coming right. up with, with with rhymes when I was maybe about seven years old, eight right. years old. So, when was the first time you you recorded. openly performed that or recorded it? Uh, very young. I started as kind of like a break dancer as a yeah. b-boy. So I, I was performing at like eight years old, you know, trying to qualify for star search, shit like that. Right. Um, in the early hip hop. So what was the first, what was the first memory of rejection you remember? I mean, from, you know, people saying they were going to manage me. No, no, no. Like to it first, not happening. The first the moment earliest. you really remember when someone told you, yo, you're not good enough. Um, not good enough. I mean, I think like well, I said, pretty sick with it though. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I I got pretty good at a very young age, so it wasn't like creative rejection where right. people didn't encourage me because I, I I was pretty ahead of ahead of the curve. But continuous rejection on the business side, mm -hmm. you know, false promises, right. people saying I'll give you this opportunity and never coming to fruition, and then you know, as a, a you know, in my early teenage years, you know, thirteen, fourteen. 14, you know, going to different labels, trying to get signed, people not understanding the vision, yeah. e either because, you know, I wasn't from, you know, Brooklyn or Compton, or if I was, you know, because I was a white kid. And, and I don't think it was anybody, you know, who whose opinion I respected that didn't think I had talent. They just didn't know how to market me. This is pre-Eminem. Right. Of course, it's pre-Drake. I feel um, like he had a point, though. He wants you to say you got rejected. Well, I did get rejected <laughs> in basically every label that I rapped for in New York yeah. did not pick me up right. um, until finally I had an offer from Fred Durst. Mm. Um, and then once he kind of gave me that offer, that right. gave me some leverage where some doors started to open and people started to take me seriously. So what, what made you wake up the next morning and, and keep on going? Despite being rejected from every label in New York at the time. Yeah. Um, basically, I had this love and this passion for hip hop that I still have that I never lost. Yeah. And like you said, that those goosebumps that you got when you did that Queen event, I would get that every time I heard a new Nas record or a new Biggie record or the first time I heard Rakim or Slick Rick. Yeah. And when I discovered that I had this talent to, to write these rhymes, um, one of the first demos I ever recorded, I was about 14 years old. I went to my boy Ray's house and I'd never been in a studio. You know, I'd never been able to work with a producer who did original beats. Mm -hmm. I used to buy the cassette singles so I'd have the B-side so I'd have an instrumental right, to right, rap to. Right. And then um, I actually got in the studio and the first time I heard myself on wax, uh, to, to quote an old school term, I was just like, yeah, this is it. You know, and my earliest memory to answer your question was eight years old, breakdancing, the crowd erupting, and that bug never left me. And I knew that I didn't want to be the world's greatest breakdancer, that I wanted to be a frontman. I wanted to be so an artist. So you're addicted to applause? 
addicted to applause. Early, probably. You are. Shut up. You are. Er, early, probably. <laughs> that 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 live recognition was very addictive. Right. But then, I mean, let's be honest. Like you said, what you do, that you're getting paid to be a part of legendary moments and being able to have fun and fucking actually help creative people you respect and 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 and, and have the ability to make a good living at it. I don't think it could be matched. So right, many right. times in my life and my career, I've been dissuaded. I've been discouraged. I've been like, fuck, can I just catch a break? I've been consistent. I never sold out. I've been true to myself creatively. I took the long game. Okay, I wasn't doing Ja Rule records in 03. Right. I was signed to Gangstar. You know what I mean? I didn't <laughs> rap on every reggaeton remix. Right. Um, you know, I felt like I did take the long game, but then... I was having a conversation with a good friend and he said, look, if you won $50 million, $100 million in the lotto tomorrow, what would you do with that money? Would you stop doing music? Fuck no. I'd probably dump most of it into music. <laughs> so if I can afford to continue doing this, I feel like I win the lotto continuously. Yo, Despite talk. the rejection. Real talk. We're all, we're all very fortunate, all three of us, to do stuff that we enjoy doing and we've worked for it, but at the same time, I never want to say like, like lucky, because it's not luck. This oh, is no, no. this is work. This is effort, and mm -hmm. we're extremely fortunate, all three of us, to just be able to wake up and do something that we appreciate, something that we love doing. I mean, I edit, I film. You're in you're in show business. You're you're an MC slash all the other. I mean, well, you know what? Also, you, you, you know you know what the you know what the um, the interesting part is is like life gives you opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And um, just got to be ready for it. So. What if, a gem. That's a gem. I, I, think, I think opportunities are always there. And if you're ready for them, you will always be able to take those opportunities. Right? So it has something to do with being prepared. Mm -hmm. I think it has something to do with preparing yourself. Constantly. Mentally. Every day. Got well, to prepare yourself mentally every day mm -hmm. for that opportunity to come. That's right. Because if the opportunity shows up and then you prepare yourself, mm -mm. you will not you will be miss able the to, opportunity. You will not which be I'm able sure to has happened to all of us at different points in well, our career. I, 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 in that case, I really don't. That, I disagree because every I'm time I had an opportunity, I took it. Good I was for prepared for it, and even if I wasn't prepared, you learned on the on the I, go. I, I still executed it the right really? way. Really, I'm, um, I'm I'm from a big train of thought where you don't step unless the ground's concrete, like it's solid. I don't like not knowing. Maybe not so I, much in I this business, though. And, you know what I mean? Well, you like your paycheck. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be mobile and you gotta be Money's flexible in this business. Well, I I think it's about you. You just mentioned the right word is stability. You know, it, it, nothing in this business is stable. <laughs> I couldn't agree you know? with Vico more. Um, Fair. Fair, but like I don't like getting involved with anything unless I have that vibe that this this next move is a good move. If I have any type, like well, I don't need to make that move. Well, listen, you're only gonna take opportunities yep. that you feel. I, I think it's about I think it's about being secure with who you are mm -hmm. and what you can do. Every opportunity that shows up, that's right. You can make the best out of it. Okay. If you if you will never be satisfied with evaluating an opportunity. Um, until you really go and get the opportunity. It's always easy to say, you know what, that wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, thanks for the opportunity. But I think there's always something that comes out of this, taking an opportunity. It, even if you didn't like it, 
You tried it. That's right. Didn't work out. It's not for me. You know what's but behind it'll teach, it. It'll teach you something for the next opportunity to come. Personally, you know? also, I feel like that's something. Fair. No, I, I like what you just said. That's that's yeah. fair. Personally, something like that also, you know, as being an artist or an MC, there like Vico can't feature on my record, or you know, or make my beat, but. It was also finding niches for myself in the entertainment business where I could break bread. I, I, have, with... a, I have a very interesting theory. Mm. You know why Latin music is doing so well right now? Mm. Because they all work together on bringing the genre to where it needs to be. That's big. <laughs> Couldn't right? fucking agree more. Um, I think... Hip-hop th was exclusive. Latin music was inclusive. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where the difference is currently, right? That's why Latin music is so successful. I mean, I've... I've, uh, you know, when you look at someone like, like Daddy Yankee, who's really one of the pioneers of the genre, right? He's never refused anybody to, to do a feature. He always understood, okay, if I, if, if I, you know, bring new talent to my records, if, if I bring, you know, older, you know, uh, artists to my record, you know, it, it'll help eventually, it'll help the whole genre. So lifting up the genre will lift up every artist in that genre. One million and, and I think, you know, that's, that's where, unfortunately, that's where, I guess, pop music or hip-hop or whoever. Fell they, short. They, they, mm -hmm. they, they fall short on that. You know, and they that don't was, support each other. And that was know? something we discussed many times uh, on the podcast that even locally, right, when we talk about the local hip-hop scene. Well, if, if you don't support the, the, the Montreal scene, you know, how are you going to put it on the map? But Bingo. hold on, hold on. Latin music, I feel like there's a culture behind it that is deeper. It's like it's rooted in in family and food and and sharing and they, like there's there's a a more cultural vibe to pop. Pop is hollow to me. Hip hop well, hip hop has elements of that, but it only when you're with your friends. You know you know what's really interesting though. Uh, you know when you talk about the Latin culture, you're talking about I think it's 23 different countries currently, mm -hmm. right? Right. Big um, demographic with all different about. upbringings, with all different you know different dialects, different different uh, uh, versus Brooklyn versus Compton. Yeah, it's a know, big difference. So, so, but you know, there is no, there's no difference between a Colombian artist, you know, jumping on a on a on a Puerto Rican record or, or an Argentine record right. or Spanish. You know, it, it's about the genre. It's not about. I think they understood that very, very uh, clearly. It's like if we want to have a strong genre, we need to work on it together. But it took time to um, get it there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, of it course. It took time it's to get it 15 there. years, and I... <laughs> this is, this is my, my personal theory, is like, you know, um, once reggaeton became Colombian, right, um, I think that's opened, opened the doors. Right. But, um, you know, I can't, I can't really prove it, but my feeling is that uh, One Dance by Drake opened the doors to reggaeton, because the production was from Whiskit, it made it. He made it palatable for top forty to. I mean, it was coming for a long time. Yankee to, had some hits. Yeah, already but to understand that beat and make it top forty ready, I think oh, Drake opened the doors for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Then you know, Mi Gente was not really. A, it's not really a reggaeton record. It was. It was an Afrobeat record. Mm. You know. So going step by step, the culture started going step by fusing. step. You French know, French blew it open too with that African song. Exa there. Exactly, That's what you know. So right? so it's like step by step. You know, the the Afrobeat kind of made it palatable for reggaeton right. to actually, you know, go global. You know, Equis Equis wasn't produced by, you know, Latin producer. It was done by by Afrobros. You know, in Holland. So if you if you're looking if you're looking through all the steps, you know, the the the, the real big hits, the crossover hits, 
were not coming from a Puerto Rican studio. They were coming from, you know, studio. Uh, in I mean, Canada. look at how much success Pitbull. I know he's, he's, yeah. he's obviously, you know, sometimes people think he's a cringeworthy example, but he was killing it for many years before the floodgates. Can I, can I tell you something funny? Up. Just completely off topic, but you said Pitbull. My brother ran for mayor a couple of years ago. And he got about 2,000 votes, which is pretty good for an he independent. He just did it as a gag. Yeah, did it, he did it because like, he's like, I just yeah. want to be mayor. He, and his first order of business, because there was a big pit bull yeah. ban in the city, he said, Pitbulls are allowed everywhere. Pitbull, the artist, not allowed in my city. <laughs> <laughs> that was his first order of business. Nice. Well, I remember Pitbull playing a gig like you talk. And it's funny he said that because it's true. The Latin shows used to get pushed out to the suburbs. Right. And I remember when Pitbull, he started like, he started fucking flying. They brought him to a small club in the South Shore, and he did three songs on the dance floor of my buddy's club, but like he flew in on a private plane. Yeah. Like he was already big. Yeah. You know, and and definitely, you know, I, I do credit Vico with being the first one to have the balls to say, I'm gonna fucking put my money where my mouth is. I'm gonna rent the Bell Center. I'm gonna bring Nikki Jam. I'm gonna bring Romeo Santos, and one just got bigger than the other. Talk to us a little bit about from you starting your own live your own live events business to uh you know touring globally with romeo santos can i can i interject for half a second something that definitely that can just, if you want to interrupt the flow of our uh, conversation. no no i just i, I just want to know <laughs> no because you said something that, that actually struck a nerve that i want to know is sure. how do you go a guy like you how do you go from venues to the bell center the bell center is the pinnacle right like it wasn't Mon his pinnacle. No, but I'm he's thinking been, like, like in Montreal, that's, that's, Stadium and, and in Montreal, that's the pinnacle. And I'm saying like, how do you take that step? Is it connects? Is it just being a personable person to slowly getting there? Like if I wanted to go rent the Bell Center now, they'd be like, fuck off. It's five hundred thousand dollars. Well, well you know, not, I've been first I've been all. I've been to that. I've been to that venue so many times, you know, with artists and I've, I've obviously dealt with them. Already. I've obviously created a network over the, the, the 20, you know, more than 20 years in my life. Um, you always come, you always come back, right? You know, the, the good thing about this business is you always see each other twice minimum. Of course. And, uh, you know, one side is your, your incoming, the other one's outgoing. You know, you're like, you either come with the artist or you bring the artist. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's every, anything we have in this business, you know, um, is uh, I can change my company name, I can change my letterhead, I can, you know, but only have, I only have my name, That's right? right? So it's all about reputation, it's all about your network, and it's all about people speaking for you and, and, uh, um, and how good you do business, you know? Um, and um, I was fortunate enough to create that relationship with the Bell Center, and, and uh, they, they, they loved the idea, and, you know, we delivered. It was, uh, it was, it was, uh, um, a big undertaking, um, and and I've been giving that chance, you know, by Nikki's team to uh, to represent them here and in Toronto, and um, it was it was a movement for the community. It was a mm -hmm. movement for the culture. Um, they accepted it. I think everybody loved it, you know. And I mean, there was each night there was nine thousand people in Toronto, nine thousand people in Montreal. Um, it was a beautiful experience, and uh, it's it's hard to replicate, um, but. I think I think the majority is is literally like um, I I I posted it and it was like when you build it they will come mm -hmm. you know I think you you just need to stick to your ideas you need to go till the last minute you know till the doors open you got to sell that ticket sure. and um, you know and and if you you know if you know your 
if you know your community, if you, if you listen to your community, if you listen to the Latinos in town, if you listen to, most important, to the DJs, if you listen to the dance floors, you'll understand what music is playing, who, who people want to see. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, and, and I think you just have to believe in the process and, uh, and create excitement you know you have to yeah sometimes you you're lucky and you know you the artist without you knowing releases a song that becomes a global hit um but but nevertheless even if he doesn't you know you you, you already did your research you know it's mm -hmm. going to work for the community you know it's uh, you, you're gonna you're gonna hit right in there and you got to find your audience you know you got to go and look for your audience and you got to get people excited and um, it's a it, it was a it was three months of from going on sale to to executing the show and and every day you just have to um, you have to stay on top of it you know um, it's it's the uh, the luxury of being an independent promoter that doesn't do you know a thousand shows a year like someone like uh, Evenco or yeah. Life Nation that are really like you know on sale show on sale show mm -hmm. and then they don't you know they have no time or or personnel to look after you know how many how many tickets did i sell in this zip code today you know yeah. what, what what event i'm gonna fly at this weekend where's the salsa band where's the zumba event you know where can i send my promoters in mm -hmm. i think that's the that's the the, the 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 beautiful thing of being an independent promoter and having a local team that will help you execute and also come up with different ideas you know there's like if you're looking through the 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 uh, classifieds of um, Montreal. You'll see there is an, an Ecuadorian Independence Day. There's a Colombian Independence Day. There's a you know every country is represented here. And then you know next to that there's also you know the the Cana you know the local Canadians that that love Latin music. Of you know course. that have uh, uh, you know I went to a coffee shop today and you go into a coffee shop and there's um, you you just sit there you have a coffee and it's like wow there's like three people speaking in Spanish, you know, two people speaking in French, mm. and then they're all together speaking English. You're like, this is exactly what, you know, what Canada is about. You yeah, know? we're very like, multicultural, especially in Quebec. And I feel like even the French, you know, the French connect to it well, yeah. uh, well also. So I mean, there's, there's, amazing, there's amazing French artists, you know, uh, that, are, that are now going into the reggaeton world that are, you know, La Creme and, you know, mm -hmm. El Artiste and all these, all these French uh, artists that are, that are using the same rhythms you know, and, and really recreating that movement and, and are featuring with, uh, with different Latin artists. You know, there is uh, artists that, that, you know, Diplo has found in France that are, that are creating that sound. Um, it's a fun genre, too. I feel like yeah. people are there to have a good time. It is a fun party. genre. And, and, and even like, you know, I saw personally, you know, being with Vico at, at his concerts, everybody's having a good time. That's right. it. The vibe That's is it. light. There's you know? a lot of women. And, you know, you're going there for a party. Yeah. Not like fuck you impress me. Yeah. And a lot of hip hop tours are that. It's like if you don't flop, it, kudos it, to you. You know, the most important thing is it makes you move. That's right. I think that's you know, it makes you move, it makes you have fun. That's no matter right. if you understand the language or not, you know. 100%. And on top of that, you know, um they bring a great show. They bring, you know, Romeo Santos brings a you know, thirteen band members, um, fully live. You know, uh, seven guitars. You know, percussion. That's what I was gonna everything get. Everything that is there. It's like you, you, you're getting the experience. You're getting real musicians. You're getting a two and a half hour show. You know. So the um, next, just so they know chronologically, the next, uh, you know, huge artist that Vico brought to Bell Center and was it Toronto ACC? Yeah. Was Romeo Santos? 
Um, like he said, two and a half hour show, major production. After that, um, they bring Vico to do their worldwide tour. Am I correct? Correct, yeah. So, um, um, interestingly enough, you know, I I've did that in partnership with Life Nation. And, uh, um, you know, having the relationship with Romeo and at this time, at that time with his manager, Johnny Marines. Um, I think you introduced they, they gave me the opportunity to, to add Montreal to the tour. Um, it was one of those moments where it was like, and eh, we, we're not really feeling that Romeo that was should yours. go there. And, you got and, that one. Yeah, and then I said, no, we, I want to do it. You know, it's, I, think it's, I think it's really yeah, important. Yeah, we were all there. We had a great time. And, um, that sounds like the one. And it was, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you go on sale, it was, there wasn't a lot of time. It was like we had like two weeks to set it up. Yeah. You know, the, the, the team from Ivanko was really helpful. You know, the Bell Center guys are, are amazing. Yeah, they're great. And, um, and you know, we went on sale and, and the first week, it was like, you know, Montreal was, was right there next to Madison Square Garden. You know, when you, you saw the sales and going up and up and up I and up. I was very and impressed. It, and it didn't slow down. And it, it was, you know, it was hat to hat, like for the... Uh, Isn't that wild? The the, like Montreal, you wouldn't expect yeah, to have that like, kind of like, like Latin... The top, it was like the top show on the whole tour next to the next to LA. Really? And, I didn't know and that. And the garden. Yeah, yeah. It was I like, didn't know that. Sales-wise, it never stopped and it, it kept up there and, you know, and... It, like we ended up, you know, selling thirteen thousand and five hundred tickets or something. I, so. I remember I was there that day, and yeah. fucking every time Michael's in town, I always, you know, I always, I'm always there for him. Whatever he needs, we run around and we have a great time. I was sick as a dog, if you remember, <laughs> I had gastro, and I said, bro, like. I'm going to come to the show, but I, I don't even think I can stand, let alone have a drink. <laughs> and they were so nice. They put a fucking little chair in front of the front stage, like a little wooden chair. And I was just sitting there all. I hadn't ate in a week, but the fucking show was amazing. You and were in we, shape, though. I, I mean, I did my best. <laughs> I didn't drink because I would have died. But um, yeah, no, it was great, man. And, and, you know, salute to everything you've been able to do because, you know, it's always a huge undertaking and a huge challenge. There's so many details that can fuck these, these tours and these events up. And, um, you know, after years of doing it, you've, you've made it look easy. Wow. And that is an art. So well, you, my friend, are an artist. It's, it's all about uh, being prepared. You are prepared. I like that. No, I, I, that's the best thing I got from today personally. Thank you. Is be prepared for those opportunities because you got to take them. Sometimes I pass and what you said today was, no, no, you take them, just be prepared. I'm, uh, I'm going to, you know, since we're, since we're not live, I'm going to go research this because um, <laughs> my, uh, my nephew, um, who is now uh, in the running for a quarterback for the LA Rams. Oh, wow. Really? And, um, Congratulations you know, to your I, nephew. I know, I know he's going to get it. Fuck yeah. Um, and he's been, you know, he's been training all his life, and all he does is is preparing himself. Right. Um, and uh, you know, he's he's been giving, he's been giving opportunities all his life, and he's been able to take them. Um, and um, they gave him, they, you know, I, I know the philosophy, but they gave him when he got to the Rams, they gave him a little booklet with, you know, certain with certain instructions. And this one is preparation. Okay. Right. So um, I'm going to read it up. Because sure. you can then cut it together and use it for yourself. Yeah, if you don't mind, show it to, like, the you camera's know. on you there. Um, well, so it's, it's okay, right it's here. Small. Okay, okay, okay. It's from right? the manual it's very, of, it's the, very small, of but, the Rams. Um, it, preparation is not usually fun or exciting. Okay. It can be tedious and unfulfilling in the short term, yet it's absolutely essential. To enjoy success, you must... Dif dis Let me cut this. To enjoy success. To enjoy success, you must discipline yourself day after day to develop your skills 
increase your knowledge, make new personal contacts, and lay the groundwork for your success. When you prepare yourself, you're always in the right place at the right time. And I think without even you know, using that as a philosophy, as a philosophy I've, I've always lived my life like that. You know, I've always, I think, li- I think life is about always waking up and being prepared and, and looking for as much knowledge and information. Um, I think it's, you know, what, what we do in the business is about um, we're only as strong as our network. One million percent. You know, so, so connecting to people and, and, and exchanging thoughts, you know, just like this podcast here, I think. That's, that's you know, it's so it's, funny. That should be the mission statement of this show because that's why I wanted to build this platform. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's, you know, we, we work in the business that has no limits. That's right. But it also has no rules. That's right. Right? And it also has no teachers. No protocol. Right? There's no protocol. <laughs> there's no there's no books. It's the wild fucking you know, west. It's the wild wild west. It's it's you know it, there's there's no yeah there's Berkeley and there's beautiful institutions that that can bring you closer to the business. But it's a day-to-day on the street. If you're not in it, you know, you're not in it. Learn, learning by doing experience, you know, and and you end up like you said, you know, it's like even on the artist side, even on my side, you end up working with people that teach you the wrong things, that have their own philosophies that mm-hmm. you might not be yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very important for you out there to find people with the, same, with the same morals mm. that were given to you by your parents. Mm. Because if you don't find the same like-minded people with the same morals... You're gonna get fucked over every day, mm. right? So, check out you know the people that you really want to work with have to have the same baseline, the same morals that you have. If not, you're constantly constantly gonna be clashing. That's when you get you know when when people come and steal your shit, mm-hmm. people come and steal your money, steer you in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if if it's hard to find your bubble, it's hard to find the people that you know you want to work with. You, you know, but it's it's important to have a team in this business and the team has to have the same moral compass 1 million know? percent and i think that what you said you know from the rams uh, manual uh, was such a fucking gem and exactly what you're talking about is the whole reason i wanted to do this because there's nobody in our city who's sitting down with people like yourself, really picking their brain and getting to the nitty gritty. There's so much misinformation out there. There's so many people who are, you know, shooting off in wild directions that, you know, we, you know we're hoping to make this a place where people could tune in and hear fucking, it took you a lifetime to amass this knowledge that you just articulated very simply. It took you 20, 25 years of working in this business to get there. So, you know, uh, thank well, you. And I, and I still learn every day. You know what they say, a, 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 a smart person learns from others' mistakes. A stupid person needs to continuously make, make them for themselves. <laughs> and, it's, and it sounds ridiculously simple, but it, it really is that sometimes. And I think that the gift of this business is connecting. I've, I've read it yesterday in a British Airways magazine. Mm. It's, you know, being, a, being in this world, and you could take that on, the, on your business, on my business, on mm-hmm. your business, on your personal life. Mm-hmm. It's about eliminating unforced errors. Right? I like that. If you eliminate unforced errors, shit that just 
you just want it to be a you wanted to do and you knew it's going to be a mistake mm -hmm. right is shit you you know people people tell you to do and you knew it's going to be wrong if you start eliminating that from your life from your career from your personal life you know you already done you know you you already going the right direction you so paved the way to el let's eliminate unforced errors that's oh. fucking amazing i love that and that's why this is the best business in the world because even though we have absolutely no security and certainty or stability we do get to connect with like-minded individuals when we're lucky and i appreciate you for coming on i appreciate everything you're doing in this business and, big time uh, thank you good to see you stay <laughs> tuned with the blessed podcast it's actually the moment of truth podcast it could be the blessed, <laughs> it could be the blessed call. now it's the blessed podcast <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much, Michael Furman in the building, man. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate you, man. Uh, this is the MOT Podcast. Mm -hmm. I am your boy, Bless. Of course, let me know. Thank you very much for coming on. Woo -woo.